they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, March the 3rd, 2023. And again, Terry is, um, Terry's not in studio today because he's, um, he's babysitting our grandson. So um, thank you all for joining us. We'll start with the Angelus and uh, ask the angels to join us here. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now and at the hour of our death, amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now and at the hour of our death, amen. <clears throat> pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncelia terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I decided we'd do various questions today, biblical questions. Um, it was interesting, a friend of Terry's had asked, he said, you know, um, somebody said to him, doesn't Exodus 21, 22 justify abortion, that the, the Bible doesn't condemn abortion? Well, that's interesting. What does Exodus 21, 22 say? It's the chapter 21 in Exodus, verse 22, and it says, when men strive together and hurt a woman with child so that there is a miscarriage and yet no harm follows, the one who hurt her shall be fined according as the woman's husband shall lay upon him and he shall pay as the judges determine. If any harm follows, then they shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So they're saying, oh, well, if they harm a woman who's pregnant and she miscarries, there's no penalty if there's no harm done to the woman. So doesn't that justify abortion? Well, no, it doesn't, actually, because what God is regulating there is if, if men attack a woman, um, the harm is done primarily to her. If it's done to her, then then her husband can have exact a payment as it were and then the payment will be according to how much harm is done and again these these things were to regulate how much how justice was meted out so that you couldn't um you, you couldn't take more 
than what you lost. For instance, I, I remember there was a Judge Extreme Akeem or something, and people would come before him, and so then he would say, okay, somebody hurts you so you can hurt them in return. And the, I didn't watch the show often, but my kids were watching it one day, and they had this, this case where this guy was backing up in a parking lot, and he accidentally bumped somebody's bumper and dented their bumper. And so then the judge said, okay, fine, so you can retaliate. And I'm, this is literal. I was shocked. I don't know if this was just all a big show or whatever, but what the punishment was, but the woman whose car got bumped and her, denter, her fender slightly dented was allowed to do to, in retaliation. And she was allowed to take a bulldozer and destroy his car. And, and see, this is the kind of thing God was regulating. This is absurd. This is absolutely insane, quite frankly. It's, it has no bearing in reality. So what God's regulating there is how much a man can do if someone harms his wife. And it doesn't, that doesn't address the question of direct induced abortion, where you intend to kill a child. That's actually addressed under the fifth, under the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. That means you cannot take innocent life. You cannot take innocent life, and every human being is innocent. And you have to read every scripture in the context of the whole. And from the beginning, in Genesis 1.27, God made man in his own image. In the divine image, he made them. Male and female, he created them, right? And it's evident that, you know, the Spirit of God made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Job 33.4, Psalm 19, verse 73. Your hands made me and formed me. God formed every human being. Psalm 139.13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me unformed, my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God knows us even before we're born. And there's many more passages, Job 10, 11, and 12, Matthew 1, 20, um, Psalm 100, verse 3, Isaiah 42, 24, Isaiah 64, 8. And those all speak to God forming every human being. When a a human person comes into existence, it's God's will, and God makes them. Now, the preborn child is a gift. Children in the scriptures are always and everywhere spoken of as a gift from the Lord. Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of our youth, of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with these arrows, the blessing of the child. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in your mother's body, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart to serve me. I appointed you to be a prophet of the nations. And in addition to that, the scripture shows us that every life has a purpose. Every human being that God creates, he creates with a mission. Luke, now this is refers, in Luke 1.15 refers to uh, John the Baptist, okay? This is the angel speaking to Zechariah. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And then when the Blessed Virgin Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, what does Elizabeth say in Luke 1, 41 and 44? 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped for joy. So here's John the Baptist. Elizabeth's pregnant. John is alive in his mother's womb. Okay. Mary is just pregnant with Jesus. So he's only a few days. She's only a few days pregnant. By the time she got to Anne Kareem, maybe, I don't know, what does it take? 90 miles. It was a 90 mile journey. I don't know. Maybe it took three or four days. So, but Elizabeth, the baby leaps in Mary's, in Elizabeth's womb at the presence of the Blessed Virgin Mary and Jesus Christ just consumed and conceived, excuse me, conceived in her womb. And then in verse 44, and Elizabeth exclaims, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Okay. So from their wombs, from the womb, these children already have a mission. And this isn't just John the Baptist and Jesus. This is all of us. God has a mission for all of us. Isaiah 49, 1 and 5. The Lord called me from the womb, formed me from the womb to be his servant. So from the very womb. And in Galatians 1, 15, Paul writes, but God set me apart from the time I was born. He showed me his grace by appointing me. So from the beginning of his life, Paul has already been called by God. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, he chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So when God made us, he intends for us to be holy. And this is every human being that God creates. Only God can infuse an immortal soul into a human person, making them a human person. And that immortal soul is willed directly by God, and he has a plan. And the first plan is that he chose us to be holy and blameless before him. And then in Isaiah, we also have... in. in Further on in scripture, the value of even life, even the life that we don't see that's growing secretly in a mother's womb, okay? Isaiah 45, 9 through 11. How terrible it would be for anyone who argues with his maker. He is like a broken piece of pottery lying on the ground. Does clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does a pot say, you don't have any skill? How terrible will it be for anyone who says to his father, why did you give me life? The scripture is saying how terrible it would be to say this to your father. How terrible for anyone to say to his mother, why have you brought me into this world? This is a terrible thing to say, according to the word of God. To question, why do I have life? The Lord is the Holy One of Israel. He made them. He says to them, are you asking me about what will happen to my children? Are you telling me that I should do with them what my hand, are you telling me what I should do with what my hands have made? So when we, we think that we can attack the little children, we're telling God, why did you make these children? You're making too many. I got to get rid of them. Don't you know? Read Isaiah. Meditate on it. <laughs> You're telling God he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh my, there's that music. Oh, we're going to have to take a break. There's so much more here. So, we want to get to this question. We want to finish this question. We want to get to other questions that people do ask about Scripture and what Scripture says about certain things. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you to the radio stations who picked us up. And thank you for all of those who pray and sacrifice. Don't go away. We will be back with more. And please invite others to listen. Thank you.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Terry's not with me today. He's babysitting. He's not, he's not babysitting. Bo's not a baby anymore. He's, he's child-sitting. <laughs> anyway, so we have this question about Exodus. And um, does Exodus 21, 22 through 25 justify abortion? And I, it, we're, we're basing this on, we know that in the scriptures that every human being that is created is created directly by God because God has to create the immortal soul. And it is his will that every human being is created. And so every person is made in God's image as a person to be loved. And then we want to, uh, just the different scripture passages that I've given you in section one that address the value of human life the, that every child that's ever born, the scripture always and only speaks of children as a blessing, okay? And the, every child is made in God's image. So um, we have more passages here in Exodus 4.11. The Lord said to him, who makes a man able to talk? Who makes him unable to hear or speak? Who makes a man able to see? Who makes him blind? It is I, the Lord. So God is in charge. He makes every human life and every human life is of value. And it's, it's, has, every person has a mission and every person has a call from God, and God makes every person. And, and our first calling is to live in union with God. We are all called to greatness. We are called call to union with God. It's not God who hates human beings. It's our enemy, the enemy of men, the enemy of all men, St. Ignatius called him, Satan, the devil. He's the enemy. He's the one who inspires killing and violence. It's not from God, Okay. So in Corinthians, it says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Weakness. In our weakness is God's power brought to perfection. Now, the value of life, okay, is um, in Genesis 9, 6, it says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. In Exodus, it says, Exodus twenty thirteen, you shall not murder. That means you cannot take innocent life. All right. In Exodus 23, 7b, it says, do not kill the innocent and righteous. Do not kill the innocent and righteous. So here you have, you can't directly intend to kill a little baby. Can't do this. Can't ever do that, okay? And so um, there's lots of places in the scripture that we're supposed to exhort us to speak for those who are unjustly attacked. And open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Proverbs 3, 8 and 9. So 31, excuse me, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. So we're supposed to defend those who have no voice. You know, there was a song, Wake Up America, you know, and and part of it said, um, helpless and voiceless, defenseless and choiceless. It's time to stop the killing in this land. Wake up, America. We can't kill babies and have a just society. You can't do this. Um, And then Proverbs 24 also says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we do not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? God sees it all. He sees it all. Does not he who keeps watch over the soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? We need to defend the children in the womb. And no, the Bible doesn't give any right to abortion. It doesn't say that it's, um, it's okay to have an abortion. 
There's nothing in the scripture. And it wasn't the earliest teaching, the earliest catechism of the church that we have is called the Didache. It was written by the 12 apostles. And in the Didache, it very specifically says you cannot have an induced abortion. (laughs) You cannot kill an innocent child. You don't kill little babies. Infanticide, induced abortion, this is wrong. You are committing a crime against someone who was made in God's image. You are attacking a child that God made as a blessing, that God has given a mission to. And we will have to pay to God for our sins. We, yes, Jesus Christ paid the price for all of our sins so we can be saved. And any sin we've committed, God can forgive. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and ask for mercy. We need to stop the killing of little babies in this land, and we need to stop trying to justify direct-induced abortion, whether it be chemical or surgical. It doesn't matter. It's still killing of an innocent human being, and it's against the scriptures. We have to defend the orphans. We have to defend those who have no one to speak up for them. We need to take care of them, and God will bless us. God will bless us, and he, 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 stand, he, you know, he demands this of us. In one of the readings for Lent, Isaiah 58, 68, set free those who are held in chains without reason. Untie the ropes that hold people as slaves. Set free those who are crushed. Break any evil chain. Share your food with the hungry. Provide homeless people with a place to stay. Clothe the naked. Provide the needs of your own family. Then the light of my blessing will shine on you like the rising sun. I will heal you quickly. I will march ahead of you and my glory will follow behind you as a guard. If we take care of the, those who are suffering, okay? And again, in Matthew 25, 34, 35, Matthew 25, 34 through 40, remember the last judgment and the king will say to those on his right, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. When Lord did we do these things? Whenever you did it to the least of my brethren and who is more defenseless, who is smaller and least than a little child in the womb? who has no one to speak for them. We need to speak up for the the unborn. And know Exodus 21, um, verses 22 through 25, does not justify abortion. You have to take this in the context of the whole scripture. First of all, the killing of the innocent is condemned in the Ten Commandments, and then again in Exodus 23. Um, So, no, it's not saying it's okay that, okay, you can attack a woman and she has a miscarriage. Well, well, they attacked the woman and the woman didn't die. So therefore the men aren't going to die because, and remember the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth, that was the old law. And Jesus said in the new law, he said, we're supposed to forgive our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So, um, but that doesn't mean we're not supposed to defend the innocent. We are supposed to defend those who are defenseless and can't defend themselves. All right. And take care of the, the poor and the hungry. So that was that question. Now, I had another question that people sometimes wonder about, and that's St. Paul. And how did he learn the gospel? Where did he receive the gospel? And, you know, it's interesting. Yes, we know that he had this revelation of um, Jesus Christ to be the true Messiah, the Son of God, on the way to Damascus, when he was on his way to Damascus with letters to arrest the people in Damascus. But Paul goes further in this. In his, He gives an explanation in the letter to the Galatians 
about how he received the gospel. And um, he says, brethren, I would have you know that the gospel which was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught in it, but it came through a revelation from Jesus Christ. So this is in Galatians 1, verses um, 11 and following. And then he goes on and he, he talks, he, he says, you know, he, was, he had persecuted the church and then on his way to Damascus, he had received this revelation. And then he said, verse 15, and this, I quoted this in the first question, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, in the, the new revised uh, uh, Catholic edition, is it's before I was born, and he called me through his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem at that time to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and again returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. It's funny because when I was doing my studies, I, I had a professor who insisted that Paul received his revelation on the road to Damascus. He, he had encountered the, the risen Christ. But Paul says that the revelation that he received went beyond what happened at Damascus. And I was always taught growing up by my father, I believe, that Paul had re gone into the desert of Arabia to go into the wilderness and actually encountered the risen Lord and in extraordinary revelation received the gospel. And that's what Paul's saying here in, in Galatians. So I, now I know where my dad got it. He got it from the beginning of the letter to the Galatians. It's funny how we read the scripture and these things don't sink in and they don't, you know, catch us we don't so that when we hear something in a class we're like well that's not what i was always taught but where where do i get the evidence well the evidence is in galatians paul was taught the gospel directly by jesus christ and he did go up after you know he spent three years in damascus three years in arabia is what the, the the tradition is and then he went back to damascus and then he had to flee damascus and he goes up to jerusalem and he meets with peter and he will return to jerusalem 14 years later now, when he goes to Jerusalem the first time, it's not to um, verify that what he's preaching is correct. But when he goes back to Jerusalem 14 years later, it is to verify, and that's also here in, um, in um, Galatians 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus with me. And I went up by revelation, and I laid before them, but privately for those who were of repute, in other words, the leaders of the church, Peter, James, John, the gospel which I had preached among the Gentiles, lest somehow I should be running or had run in vain. So remember, when he first goes up to Jerusalem after um, in, in Galatians 1, that was probably for the council, where they're, they're having this trouble with, you know, the, the Judaizers want to say that anyone who becomes Christian has to um, become circumcised. And no, um, the, the, the church comes, no, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to follow the Jewish dietary laws. You don't have to follow the Jewish sacrifice laws. Um, and you don't have to follow the Jewish feasts of the Old Testament. Because our faith is based on the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And that doesn't mean we don't have to follow the Ten Commandments. But Paul is saying that he received the gospel that he preached directly from Jesus Christ. 
And yes, he does. After he's been preaching for 14 years, maybe 17 years, three plus 14, he does present it to the apostles to make sure that he hasn't run the course in vain. Has he, has he, has he somehow strayed from the truth that was revealed to him? And he wasn't. They, they gave him the hand clasp of fellowship and know everything that he had preached. And even Titus, who was with him, he goes on to say, even Titus, who was with me, who wasn't circumcised, they didn't require him to be circumcised. Because again, Paul got all kinds of grief when he preached about not making Gentiles become Jews. They didn't, you know, he wasn't insisting that they be circumcised or that they follow the Jewish dietary laws or that they follow the Jewish temple laws. Uh, and he wasn't insisting on these things. And, and there were a lot of, you know, Jewish converts to Christianity who were upset about that because they figured, well, Christianity is just like, um, we're still Jewish, but now we've added a few things onto it. There's the music again. Oh my goodness, goodness gracious. Well, I'm having a good time. I really enjoy these questions and I enjoy looking into them and discovering the, the roots of the, the teachings of the church and the traditions. So thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio and Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, March 3rd, the first Friday of March. I remind you, please spend time with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament today. Tell everybody we have a Catholic Bible study. Ask them to join us and I'll be right back with more. Don't go away. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. So we're dealing with various questions today here. And the first question we dealt with was uh, Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25. Does that justify abortion? Induced, direct induced abortion. Deliberately trying to kill an innocent child. And the answer was no, because... Um, thou shalt not murder means thou shalt not take innocent life. And then we talked about Paul and how did he receive his revelation? And Paul in Galatians um, says that he, it was more than just what he received on the road to Damascus, but that he actually spent three years in the Arabian desert with the Lord, um, receiving from the risen Lord, the gospel. And then he preached the gospel and it wasn't, he, he had preached it for quite a few years before he actually went up to the apostles and um, that's all in Galatians 1 and 2, um, uh, to, to present to them the gospel that he had preached. It might have been as much as 17 years he'd been preaching before he actually presented it before Peter and James and John and the, the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. So then there's the works of the law, which come up in Paul's letter. And, you know, is this, is this the Ten Commandments or is there something else here? Well, the works of the law, Paul uses it eight times, and it's twice in Romans, Romans 3, 20 and 28, and six times in Galatians, Galatians 2, 16, 3, 2, at 5, and 10. So each time he denies that the works have power to save us. Okay, the works of the law don't have power to save us, all right? That's his, you know. And then he's intent on convincing the Romans and the Galatian readers that unlike faith in Jesus Christ, the works of the law neither justify the sinner nor confer the spirit on the believers. And so... Um, what are these works of the law? It's a question for the, com for the person who's commenting, okay? So according to some, Paul uses this expression to refer to legalism, that is to a misguided attempt to amass favor with God and to earn salvation for oneself by the performance of good works, which, by the way, is not a bad reading. And yes, that's true for all of us. Even when Jesus says to feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and, and clothe the naked, if we're just doing that because I think I need to earn God's love, I have a problem. I couldn't possibly earn God's love and I don't need to. 
God loves me freely. The question is, will I accept his love? Okay, so it's not about doing something. It's about being in his presence and accepting all that he wants to give us. But then once we have accepted his love, that love flows out to others. It becomes faith acting in love. Okay? So we have the primary meaning, though, seems to be that these refer to that Paul is asserting, and more and more modern scholars are taking this position, that the works of the law formula is actually referring to the mosaic ceremonial works. And it's mainly um, the visible expression of Jewish life and identity, circumcision, dietary regulations, purity codes, Sabbath observances, and the liturgical calendar of the Old Covenant feasts that Paul contrasts with faith. Okay? These are the ritual distinctions that set Jews apart from Gentiles in the Hellenistic world of the first century. In support of this thesis, it's advocated, um, its advocates note how this issue constantly surfaces when Paul is talking about salvation of the Jews and Gentiles. The likewise, they likewise point out from the wider context of Romans and Galatians that the apostle stresses the irrevel, ir, irrelevance, irrelevance of ceremonial r- rituals like circumcision, Romans 2, 25 through 29, Romans 3, 30, Romans 4, 9 through 12, Galatians 2, 3, 5, 2 through 12, 6, 12 through 15. Dietary issues, Romans 14, um, 1 through 23, Galatians 2, 11 through 14. And feast day observances, Romans 14, 5 and 6, Galatians 4, 10. All right. And this, this new, this supposedly new view is not really that new. Origen promoted this view. And um, St. Jerome connected the, the phrase with ceremony rituals in the 4th century. So you have Origen of Alexandria. You have St. Jerome. And then you have um, Ambrosiaster in his Latin commentary on the Pauline epistles. They all say that, that what, what Paul was getting at was, um, and again, the Greek scholar, the Bishop Theodoret of um, Cyrus, um, and then that Paul's primarily referring to the Jewish ceremonial laws. This is what works of the law. But again, Paul is, is he would point out to us that it, we can't earn God's love either. That's not something that's within our power to do. We don't have to, by the way. We wouldn't exist if God hadn't loved us into being. <laughs> it's something that we kind of forget, you know. It's oftentimes we feel like um, our parents loved us conditionally because they disciplined us or they asked us to obey or they tried to instruct us. And we felt like that they were telling us, if you don't do these things, I won't love you. Well, you know, oftentimes the way we feel about what our parents did or the training that we got or things that were taught to us is not what was really going on. And um, what is unconditional love? Does unconditional love that mean that um, I, I totally accept everything that you're doing and I'm going to say that anything you do is okay because you want to do that? No, that's not unconditional love. Unconditional love, God loves us unconditionally. But what did he say to those who are the goats on his left at the last judgment? Out of my sight you condemned into the everlasting fire prepared for Satan and his angels. Because I was hungry and you refused to give me anything to eat. And I was thirsty and you refused to give me anything to drink. And I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick, you didn't visit me. I was in prison, you didn't visit me. I was thirsty, hungry, thirsty, naked, clothed, um, homeless. 
you didn't shelter me. What? So God's love is conditional. He only loves us. If, no, he loves us. He loves the souls in hell. God is love. He cannot not love. Even, even, the, even the devils are loved by God. But God doesn't approve what they do. And again, he doesn't approve of our sin. So if I have ideas that are contrary to the faith, um, a lot of modern ideas in colleges are actually contrary to the faith. You know, that, that um, and the, the idea that it's, it's um, that, I, that I have to approve of every idea that you have, that that's loving you. No, if, if you say something and I see that it's contrary to the faith that it's been taught, that's been handed on to us by the church, and I don't show you the true faith, then I'm not loving you. But in charity, and again, sometimes people aren't ready or able to hear what we have to say, so we have to weigh um, whether or not we respond to certain things. But unconditional love doesn't mean that, okay, I accept every idea you have, and every idea you have is good and true. And No, does your idea weigh up against reality? Does it really meet out? Is it realistic? So, um, you know, we have this, so they had the works of the law issue in the, in the beginning, and then you have unconditional love. And, but unconditional love doesn't mean just, you know, anything you do is okay. No, it's not that. You know, so, so for instance, when people are gender confused, it's not unconditional love to confirm them in that. It's unconditional love to show them the path to wholeness. And there is a path to wholeness. We were made by God. We were made for union with God. We're made in God's image. And we will only find our happiness, our true happiness in union with God. And we can only live that union with God if we allow ourselves to be loved by God and we give ourselves back to God and ask him to help us to live according to his law and to keep the commandments. Jesus said it. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the first and the, the first commandment is love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, and soul, with all your strength and will. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus added, love one another as I have loved you. So that we're willing to die for people in order to bring them the truth, even if they don't want to hear it. And Jesus died to bring us the truth. And he died for it, didn't he? His, 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 his funeral was a wedding. The wedding feast of the Lamb has begun, and his bride is prepared to welcome him. He came from heaven to buy her. He came to, from heaven to seek his bride, and with his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. We are all members of the church, and the church is his bride, and it's also his mystical body. And he is the head, we are the members, but we're also wedded to Christ, in a mystical union. And this is, this is the purpose of our existence, and this is what will bring us true happiness. So there are a lot of Catholic practices that uh, oftentimes come into question, like, for instance, confession. Why would you confess your sins to a man? Well, we don't confess our sins to a man. You see, we confess our sins to a priest. And a priest is acting in persona Christi, Christi Capita, because Christ is the head of his church, and he's the only high priest. There's only one high priest, that's Jesus Christ, book of Hebrews. So 
the ordained minister, the ordained priest, when he administers the sacraments, it's Jesus Christ who acts in and through him to, to bring out the work of salvation that he has intended. And in John 20, 22 through 23, it says, if you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven them. Jesus appears to his apostles on the day of resurrection. He breathes on them. That the breath, the spirit, he gives them the Holy Spirit. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. And so he established the sacrament of confession. And by that sacrament, we are to confess all of our sins. We have to confess our mortal sins. A mortal sin is deadly. And oh, yes, there is. In the first letter of John, there is a distinction between mortal and venial sin. He makes the distinction between a sin that is deadly and a sin that is not deadly. Okay, so you can read the first letter of John, and there's that distinction between them. And so mortal sin deals death to the soul. So in order to have that forgiven, we, Christ has established this sacrament. In baptism, all our sins are wiped away. Well, if you're a baby and you're baptized, original sin is wiped away. But if you're baptized as an adult, all the sins that you've committed in your life up to that point are wiped away. That's, but, but for those of us who are baptized as babies, and then, you know, because we are fallen, because we're because of concupiscence and original sin, we tend towards sin. So it's easy for us to sin. So we need to go back to God and ask for, for mercy. <sighs> I must be having too much fun. Those breaks are coming up awful fast. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Thank you to the radio stations who pick up our signal. Thank you all of you who have the app and are listening on the app or on any of the social media, Rumbles or Facebook or any of the platforms that pick us up. Uh, please share with your family and friends if there's a Catholic Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio and ask them to tune in and listen. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, March the 3rd, 2023. The first Friday of the month of March. It's um, the first Fridays are always dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. We make reparation to Jesus for all the outrages, sacrilege, and indifference by which he is offended. When he appeared to St. Margaret Mary, he said, Behold this heart, which has so loved man and has been loved so little in return. We want to love God. Want to love God with our whole heart and mind and soul, with all our strength and will. That was the command. But it's, it's more than a command. It's, if someone loves you, they bestow blessings upon you, then you want to love them. God is good. God is good. He is the source of all goodness. And he is love. And he loves us. So we want to love him in return. And we can ask him, St. Therese of Lezu taught us, Lord, lend me your love with which to love you, that you may be loved as you deserve. And then she said, Jesus, lend me your heart with which to love my neighbor, that I may love my neighbor as you have commanded. Because we're supposed to love one another as Jesus loves us. So we're talking about questions, and um, we talked about the sanctity of life in the first one, and that no, um, Exodus 21, 22 through 25 does not, um, verses 22 through 25 does not justify induced abortion. We talked about um, Paul's conversion and his receiving of the gospel and what did he receive and how much did he receive in terms of 
he received revelation from the risen Lord. And it wasn't just on the road to Damascus. It was, it was although he got quite a bit of infused knowledge there. Um, he had several years out in the Arabian desert with our Lord to learn. And then uh, we talked about um, uh, the, the works of the law. What are works of the law, according to the scripture and according to Paul? Which Paul, it, you know, remember the scripture, all scripture is inspired by God. So yeah, this is God's holy word. It's his holy word. He's, this is his word. And um, he spoke it. And it's, scripture is different than any other book. Because it's not just a human book. It, it's inspired. It's inspired. And it's, the, the original texts are inerrant. That what God revealed was written down. He used the authors in such wise that they consigned to writing what he intended and nothing more. So the original texts were what God intended. And we try to make a good, that's why translators try to make a good translation because we want to, you know, be able to read the Bible in our own language, but we also want to have a faithful translation. Okay. So then we were talking also about confession and the Catholic practice of confession. And where does this sacrament come from? And we talked about John 20, 23, um, 20, John 20 verses 22 through 23. And then the letter of James in the letter of James, Jesus said, if there's any sick among you, Call the presbyters of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And um, again, this is in the context of the anointing of the sick, which is a sacrament that Jesus established. And he um, confess your sins to one another. It's, in this context, that when, when the priests come, the presbyters, the priests come to anoint the sick person, then the, the a priest, the person confesses their sins. And, you know, this is rooted actually in the, in the old law, in, in Leviticus 5, 5 through 6, and Numbers 5, 5 through 10, um, there was this practice in Israel of confession. And so um, God, when he established the old law, He's preparing his people to receive the fullness of what he's going to reveal. Okay, all of the New Testament isn't revealed. It's hidden there in the Old. But it's not until we have the New Testament that those hidden things in the Old Testament become evident to us. So when they had confession in the Old Testament, it becomes evident in the New Testament that, yes, Jesus intended to, to be a sacrament in his church when he would establish his church. He would have this sacrament whereby we would go to him. Yes, he's acting in and through a man. He's mediating, just like he mediated through his prophets and he mediated through the king, David, and he mediated um, you know, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he set up his church with Peter as the head of the apostles and the apostles as his p- bishops and priests to pass on the sacred deposit of faith and to lead us in the ways of holiness and truth because praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has bestowed on us in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavens. He chose us in him before the world began to be holy in his sight, to be filled with love. So we're called to holiness, and this holiness means that we need to give up our sins. And we find ourselves weak. We find ourselves falling. So we constantly turn to the Lord in prayer and also in the sacrament of confession. You don't have to wait to commit a mortal sin to go to the sacrament of confession. You can confess your venial sins. It will strengthen you so that you don't commit mortal sin. It can give you strength against temptation. 
And the more we confess our sins, the more we acknowledge our sins and humble ourselves before God, the more grace we have to resist temptation, even venial sin. You know, all sin is infinitely offensive against God, who is infinite. Not all sin is deadly, and no number of venial sins can ever equal a mortal sin. But nonetheless, it's still an infinite offense against God. And if Jesus Christ hadn't died on the cross, if God himself had not become man and paid the price, because only God could pay back to God the price that was due for sin. And of course, Adam and Eve's sin was definitely mortal sin. They lost grace. In mortal sin, we lose sanctifying grace. With venial sin, our soul becomes weak and sick. And sometimes that weakness of the soul, that sickness of the soul, causes bodily sickness and mental sickness. Um, Carl Menninger, in his book, uh, Whatever Became of Sin, his memoirs, I guess it's called, Whatever Became of Sin, he says that um, 90% of all the mental illness he was familiar with was traceable to the loss of sense of sin. He said, God is real. And so the guilt that we feel when we offend him, he's real and he loves us. And manager was not a Christian. I believe he was Jewish. He said, God is real. And so, and he loves us. And because when we sin, we offend him. The guilt that we feel is real guilt. It's not imposed on us by society. It's not even imposed on us by the church or our family. It's real guilt. I've offended someone who loves me, who loves me so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for me. I mean, greater love than this no man has than to lay down his life for his friend. But Jesus Christ laid down his life for us when we were his enemies. When we were still sinners, Christ laid down his life for us. So we confess our sins and we repent of our sins, even venial sins. And we want to strive manfully against sin in our life. And we have to live a life of union with God, strive to live a life of union with God, which means we need to pray every day. We should read the scriptures every day. If you can go to mass every day, go to mass every day. Go to confession on a frequent and regular basis. At least the, the, the church councils once a month. We should go to, go to confession on once a month. We don't have to commit any mortal sins to go to confession once a month. Pope John Paul II really, really strongly advocated devotional confession. That means confessing our venial sins so that we can grow in holiness and become more and more like God. So the sacraments were established by Jesus Christ. They were given to us and through the church, okay? And so in the, in the Gospels, in the, in the um, writings of the New Testament, we see references, and not only that, in the Old Testament also, references to the seven sacraments, and for instance, penance and reconciliations, we're talking about Exodus 32, 20 and Numbers 14, 19 through 23, um, John 20, 23, Acts 19, 18, and then 2 Corinthians 2, 6 through 11, and James 5, which we just read. So um, we want to know our faith and we want to understand that... Um, Everything we may believe as Catholics in terms of doctrine and dogma is rooted in the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? And so there's no Catholic doctrine or doctrine, dogma or doctrine that contradicts Scripture. It's rooted there. And there are things like, you know, the Immaculate Conception. Why would we think that Mary was immaculate conceived? Well, in Luke 1.28, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Well, and what Gabriel says there is, hail, you who have the fullness of grace. And it's, it's a, a, 
a verb that means you already have the fullness of grace, you continue in the fullness of grace, and you will continue in the fullness of grace forever. That she was preserved from the stain of original sin by God because she was to be his mother. The Son of God was to dwell in her womb for nine months. So he made for himself a tabernacle that was worthy, that was not stained by sin, that Satan had no access to. So from the first moment of her conception in her mother's womb, the Immaculate Conception is about Mary's conception in her mother's womb. From the first moment of her conception, she was filled with grace. She was filled with grace. And, you know, Mary goes on and, and, and you know, she had found favor with God. Remember, um, she's disturbed by the angel's greeting. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And she was deeply troubled. And the angel says, do not fear. You have found favor with God. She had found favor with God. God had favored her before she was even born. He was favored her from the first moment of conception to fill her with grace because she was to be his first tabernacle. And he made for himself a worthy tabernacle. As was it Bishop Sheen quotes, you know, Whistler, Whistler paints this picture of his mother. And somebody asked Whistler, the great painter, you know, did your mummy really look like that? And he said, well, you know how it is with your mummy. You want to make her the best she possibly could be. Well, God had the opportunity to make his mother. And if we human beings want our mummies to be the best they could possibly be, how much more does God, and who has the power to do so, he made his mother without sin. And then Mary sings her, her Magnificat, and she said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit exalts in God my Savior. Yes, God is her Savior, but she's saved before sin even has a chance to touch her. She's pre-redeemed. In view of the merits of her son, Jesus Christ, in view of the merits of her son, Jesus Christ, she is saved because of his merits. The son that she would bear had already saved her. You know that song, Mary, Did You Know? It says, did you, and in the, it says um, that he, he would soon deliver you. Well, he had already delivered her. He had delivered her from, from sin from the first moment of her conception. Well, you know what? The music's coming again, and we're, there are so many questions and so many different issues that we could deal with, but we got to a few of them today. I hope you will share this with all your family and friends and let them know. Um, and anybody who's asked you that question about Exodus and, or any of these questions, please share them, even with professors at the university. They can call me and argue with me, maybe. You know, that Paul's um, revelation of the gospel wasn't just on the road to Damascus when he saw the risen Lord, but he went off into Arabia, and he actually was schooled in the gospel by the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. So thank you for joining us. Share this with your family and friends. Let them know that there's a Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio and get them to download the app and join us. And make sure that you remember First Friday, um, spend time with our Lord, especially our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament if you can. And thank you for your support for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for all of those of you who pray for us and offer your sacrifices for us. Please, God, we'll be back next week.